the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, the only podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team hosted by me, John Greenberg, and more importantly, James Fegan. James, it's here. The baseball season's actually upon us. You were at the first Cubs-White Sox exhibition game Sunday night at Wrigley Field. We're taping before we both go to the game Monday night on the south side. Uh, what was your experience like at the first game? Was it any different than, I mean, obviously it's different because there's different teams there, but was it any different than kind of what you've been watching already on the south side of these empty stadium games? Yeah, it definitely felt a bit more legit or actually official in the sense that they played nine innings or they clearly, right. it didn't seem like they had full control of just like, well, who cares how many outs you get? You're done. Get out of the game. Um, like, I feel like the, what was it? The bottom of the eighth with Carson Fulmer, they would have just called it and walked off the field and said they had to bring in a new pitcher because Carson Fulmer wasn't getting anyone out. Like that, that was an element of like, oh, this is like a real game that uh, they didn't have previously. It was also... Probably the first time, like all throughout going to intra-squads, there's like maybe five reporters in the press box at White Sox Park, and it, it felt like less crowded than going to the grocery store. Um, probably last night was the first time I thought like, there, there's a lot of human beings in this ballpark right now. Like there are no fans, but there's probably more people. This kind of feels like a outdoor like party I went to where I was like taking sips of my drink and sliding my mask back on like that that was probably more the feel in the Wrigley Field press box they did slide in like plastic screens before everybody and right we were spaced out far enough that my first thought was like man I got so much room to throw my stuff everywhere uh <laughs> how I many never people had. were there um I want to say they're probably close to the 30 um, or thereabouts, maybe 25 in the press box. Um, right, I think 35 is the limit, right? Right. So people were ducking out to the food room to do Zoom calls or the little hallway behind uh, the seating in the Wrigley press box, which is not, I feel like, as physically wide as the White Sox press box um, by a good measure. So it, it, it definitely felt like we weren't like rubbing on elbows or anything like that, but it, it felt probably a bit more on top of each other than I have felt uh, at any point at the ballpark. Um, but as far as the actual game, it, it it definitely felt more real and it definitely felt real in terms of the it kind of felt like a spring training game because I feel like the entire focus of the game was about Jarrell Cotton, this guy who I don't know if the Cubs are going to use and the White Sox just utterly blitzing him and the results of the game basically being dictated in a five minute span were like five just molten hot like line drives got hit to the ivy and right they're all like 105 hit. miles an hour i think every hit the exit velocity yeah. it was it was not great uh not great not a great outing for Jarrell cotton i just actually as we're talking i got the um the email from the white Sox about tonight's game which is taping this on monday and there's 24 people listed um on as far in the press box seating chart so I think you, you do that, and then you factor in how many photographers and camera people there are, and it probably does hit rate pretty close to thirty five total. Um, how do you, how does it feel to to share a section with Bruce Levine? I mean, that's got to be something you've uh, you know aspired to for a long time. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, when we were together at ESPN. You know, I got to share uh, occasionally, sit next to him, which is always fun. You get to learn a little bit, you get to laugh a little bit, so Cry a it's all bit. good. You're with Merck and, and the Dutchman. The, that's the big three. Yeah. 
That's the that's big three, and se- that's why they put you in section three because you guys are the big three of the beat. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the the section of the beat that gets asked the big questions by Sox PR and mostly shrugs our shoulders and say, "All right, fine." <laughs> so yeah, no, this is like you're right. This will be by far the most people because I've been. You know, like you said, I was at the White Sox twice and once at the Cubs. And each, I think the most people at the Cubs were maybe 10 when I was there. And a couple of people left after conference calls for some reason. Um, so, yeah, this uh, this is this feels real. And I actually asked that not to, to bring the Cubs up, but I was on Rizzo's Zoom call. And I kind of asked about, like, how it feels for the players. And he gave a really good answer. Just, you know, he's like, listen, I didn't think this. He's like, I had to be honest. When I reported, I wasn't so certain the season was actually going to happen. Like it felt like an experiment. And I think it kind of did for us too. Didn't it James? Like I feel like a lot of the questions, I wasn't on all the conference calls, but I feel like a lot of the questions were of the skeptical variety to players. Like you think this is going to work? Yeah. I thought that was our responsibility uh, right. going in. It was just like asking like, are you guys safe? <laughs> are you guys going to be okay? Like, are they actually like doing what they say they're doing or, are you are you guys worried that you're all going to die? Like like I thought that was the more pertinent line of questioning rather than like how right, long do you arm? think it'll get to <laughs> your fastball timing back or how's your command going? Like that didn't seem like the the number one question. But after a week of them saying like eh, it's going kind of smooth or I think it's fine, it's just like well why? I'm, it's like a it's like you don't need to call up your grandparent every day and like ask them if the, they they broke their hip. Like you need to start treating like a, a normal person at a certain point. And you know the White Sox haven't even had any of the testing delays that the Cubs have at any point. Um, you know, I I think I remember asking that question. Uh, the answer was like, well, we wouldn't be practicing if we would. Like they're on the field. Like everything's fine. So um, after a week, it kind of felt like I. I I felt like I needed to stop being ridiculous and so worried because no one else who was actually like putting themselves in the line seemed to be. So uh, now we can talk about uh, swing timing and why isn't Eloy hitting more home runs in inter squad games? You know, you know what I thought was a nice sign uh, as the, the jokes have been like the earth is healing type stuff. Whenever something unimportant happens is last night, you could actually start getting Cubs and Sox fans sniping at each other again. Yeah. And, and it was fun. And I even instigated one, you know, I instigated a couple actually, but, um, and it's fun, like they're taking it seriously again. And I, I know it's stupid to like care about, but listen, we're all stressed out. And rather than just people on Twitter saying like we're all going to die, you know, and and taking it fine, I, I agree, people should be taking it seriously. But this, you know, is I think baseball's best attribute, as long as it's healthy, you know, everyone stays safe and healthy this year, is distraction. And it seemed like fans were taking it seriously. Yeah, the 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 welcome sight of fans missing your joke on Twitter and sniping at you that this game right. is meaningless and anyone puffing right. out their chest uh, is, is the real insecure one. Uh, <laughs> it's like getting back in a warm bath. Right. It's it's really and like just just the Luis Roberts stuff and then you know trying to think what else were fans getting mad about. I mean, I was I was joking about Robert and then people were I got like a you know seventy five uh, Twitter seventy five tweet thread about. Oh yeah, well you only hit it off the our backup pit, you know, our our triple A pitchers. <laughs> yeah, well you know, Adam Engel is the one who hit the five hundred foot home run off of Kyle Hendricks. So that was were you clapping? I couldn't hear you clapping. Were you were you applauding in silently? I, I my hands were full with protein bars. Okay, <laughs> I I did. You did like how I uh, 
reheated a two-year-old story you wrote about yeah. Adam Engel finding his swing in spring training. <laughs> that was like 15 stances ago for Adam Engel. <laughs> I was like, how can I do this? It was between that and figuring out ways to phrase the Lucas Giolito story about his, like when I said his mom was almost in a league of their own. Now Lucas Giolito is in a league of their own as the opening day starter. So just trying to have fun that, out there. That, that was, that story was fun because it was um, Rick, the father, thinks this is like the funniest story in the world. <laughs> and Lindsay, his mother, is like, come to terms with it, made her peace with it. You know, she, she's had a good life. It's, it's, she's not going to let it bother him. Lucas is like utterly heartbroken about it. Like I, I, like I couldn't, I couldn't really get a good quote out of the out of talking to him about it because he was just so pissed that she didn't get that part. <laughs> like their their emotions were so raw for him that like it, basically the only person who was really a good quote about it was Rick because he thought it was just a, a riot. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We'll get to Lucas in a second. Um, but you wrote about Nick Madrigal. And obviously, Luis Roberts, who are required to write about Luis pretty much every day. Um, how important is Nick Madrigal to this offense? I mean, I, I don't think anyone's undervaluing him or anything. But, you know, I I think just because we weren't sure kind of at first, you know, whether he's going to start the season with the, with the Sox, they're going to keep him down for, for uh, you know, for service time. How important do you think he is to making this go? I would say, like... You can the normal offense can afford your rookie second baseman to provide you decent defense and kind of just be like I don't know uh, below average like you know, ten to fifteen percent below average hitter at, at the bottom of the lineup like God knows that's what Yomer Sanchez was doing the last three years and it was not like a drain on the team or anything like that and you know other good offenses have that. Uh, that guy sitting at the bottom of the order. So that that'd probably be a reasonable expectation for Madrigal in year one, and that wouldn't kill them if it did. But my view is that this pitching staff has all these guys who are kind of unproven or need to step forward. And look, it's it's probably unreasonable to uh, expect their pitching staff to be above average. This is a, a team that if they win, it needs to be this offense just like reaching their potential a little bit sooner than everyone thinks they would. So that's the argument I would make that Nick Madrigal and Luis Robert need to like be like kind of just hit the ground running. And so that's why I think Madrigal is important. And obviously there's not that you you think that Madrigal eventually is going to be this guy who hit 300 and gets on base and above average rate and is really kind of a, a helpful pest to the offense. You don't have that kind of potential from Larry Garcia and Danny Mendick at second base, you know, for the week that they're uh, playing there uh, before Madrigal comes up. So I think he's important in terms of getting the offense to that like higher level that um, you know surprises the Twins and whatnot and, and carries them even if Ronaldo Lopez doesn't take a step forward or the bullpen is leaky because there's not like a ton of uh, flamethrowers in that bullpen and maybe Kelvin Carrera is not fixed and, and, and whatnot. So that's why I think he's especially important. Not that like, he's batting third and they need him to hit 30 home runs or else they, they completely fall apart, but... I think he's the guy with the potential to be an above average player relatively soon that they need that to happen to, um, you know, really be a contender. What's what about Andrew Vaughn? I mean, he's going to go, I assume back to Schaumburg, right? Just cause there's just not a lot of room for him. I, yeah. I can't see, even though Andrew Vaughn is not like the guy of like signing for 10 years until he's 35 type of like physical profile. 
Um, I can't see him playing this year just because you are so loaded at first base DH. I mean, even if you don't have, even if you were like worried about having a bench bat, like not to say that Zach Collins is the same guy as Andrew Vaughn or Jeremy Mercedes, but like you have other, like it's, it's a job with like 50 to to a hundred plate appearances in it over the course of a 60 game season. I just can't see them burning one of the years of their third overall pick. This guy who's basically supposed to, you know, most effectively, Edwin Encarnacion will probably pass the torch to him, but eventually it's going to be supposed to be your middle of the order mainstay after Abreu is gone. I can't see them taking one of those years now to have him in this really weird pinch hybrid role that, you know, I can't even say for sure that he would thrive, you know, from day one in that either. I, I think he, you know, I've seen him. I mean, everyone got worked over against Dylan Cease that one night, but uh, I, I've seen him scuffle in parts of this inner squad that I wouldn't say he's just immediately going to like walk off the bus and, you know, hit 300 with power. Uh, so I, I, I just can't see them kind of doing that this year. Who doesn't love a clean-shaven man? Hey, producer Cam here, and yes, this does sound like an as-seen-on-TV ad, but I'll tell you what, Manscaped's results are proven. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game to the max. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Not 1.0, not 2.0, but 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, waterproof, yes, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is, I will say, the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. And guess what? Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver. Ooh, an anti-chafing undercarriage deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be subscribe to the perfect package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code listen up the athletic 20 again that's the athletic 20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code the athletic 20 and for a limited time subscribers get not one but two free gifts the shed travel bag a 39 dollars value and the patented high performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer brief so go to manscaped.com today and use the code the athletic 20 back to the show do you think yohan moncada is going to be ready for this opener i mean is that your your feeling have you heard anything i mean i don't know how well i you know, I didn't watch the whole game closely to watch Chesler Cuthbert's every fielding attempt. I did see, you know, kind of one bad one. But it, we talked about this last time. Yon Moncada is just, he's so important and getting off to how it starts so important. Do you think they're going to really push him to be ready for that first series against Minnesota? They keep talking that they will. They keep saying that's the goal. Um, I would expect to see him play tonight because I don't see how you could throw him out there after like one exhibition game. Um, I would be really worried how it goes. Um, everyone talks about getting their legs ready for the season and, uh, wanting to stay flexible and whatnot, but this is literally a guy who's like tweaked his hamstring three seasons in a row. Like the same thing keeps happening to him. Um, so I would worry definitely a lot about trying to rush him back after, you know, literally having a, (laughs) a respiratory virus, uh, a week ago and, and, and trying to put him for the, you know, it's not an insane slate, but 60 games in 66 days is a, you know, a pretty heavy schedule. 
So I'd definitely be worried about bringing him back soon, but I think they have to, and I think they're definitely trying to. Um, Cuthbert had an error last night, and he definitely had... I would say he's a below-average third baseman defensively. He's been a below-average hitter um, throughout his career. He he struggled a little bit defensively in spring training in March. That seems to be what he is. And, you know, he's kind of been a hot hitter um, since they've had him in camp, but... You know, he's, he's been in the majors five years. So we kind of know what he is at this point. So I, I wouldn't expect that to carry over. Um, it'd be nice if he um, did that in spurts, uh, since I think he ha- does have a decent history of hitting lefties. And Moncada is less good at that. So if you were going to position their days off uh, or Moncada's days off strategically, that could help. But I also think he I don't know how long they would really just take up a, a roster spot or a 40 man spot too uh, for Chesley Cuthbert. So. Um, I think they're probably going to err on the side of um, pushing Mankata back in um, whenever they can, because they'll just say he's 25. He can physically handle it. Um, We need him. You know, I want to uh, rewind a sec back to the experience of the game. What was the crowd noise? You know, they're experimenting with it. And actually, I haven't published it yet, but I talked to someone with the Cubs about kind of their evolution and like kind of fiddling around with with the system to get crowd noise in and MLB kind of giving them options. You know, I thought it was decent. I listened to the marquee broadcast mostly. Um, sorry, Sox fans. Sorry, Jason and, and uh, Chuck and Steve. Was Steve on last night? Um, I don't think so. I don't, no, I don't think. I didn't listen. So <laughs> I, I had it on marquee because I just kind of want I haven't seen enough games on there yet. But I thought the crowd noise on marquee was pretty good. Um, you know, I thought it, it's noticeable. And like once you realize, you know, what you're listening to, it's a little weird. But if you don't think about it, you know, I thought it, it was decent. What, what's it like actually at the game? Not that that'll be a problem for fans. You forget about it for a while. Um, it definitely can becomes just normal because everything becomes normal. Um, depressingly, your, your brain adjusts to just every bizarre thing you throw at it. If you throw at it relentlessly enough. Right. Um, but there are things where like you'll hear the voice of like a vendor and <laughs> Part of it, you've heard vendors at ball games so often that it doesn't think anything. You don't think anything of it, but then all of a sudden, your brain's like, "Wait, there's nobody here. What? They, they're piping like actual individual voices. This is really bizarre." The thing I notice most is like a deep drive to center field, um, especially for the Cubs, and they'll turn on like the excited cheer, but it'll be like half a second late because it's not happening organically. It's a guy pressing a button uh, in response to a ball in air, and it probably it's smooth enough that on the broadcast it just feels a bit more normal, but it you can see the seams of this kind of like right. artificially created thing um, to kind of emerge. So I I thought it would be cooler to just hear everything, but it would also probably enhance the eeriness um, to just hear every word, to hear everything echo um, throughout the ballpark. So I understand why they're doing it. I would probably be in favor of the spookiness uh, aspect as a writer, but it's probably not the, um, you know, welcome, warm distraction uh, vibe that you're (laughs) trying to uh, convey uh, to fans who are, you know, still mostly locked inside their homes. I wonder if for writers, and this is, this again does not uh, matter to the majority of, uh, well, to everyone listening, um, if they should pipe in like a broadcast, you know, for you, because otherwise it's kind of weird you know, I just noticed this watching those little uh, inter-squad games when someone does something and there's no reaction. You know what I mean? Like when anything, 
like you said, like a deep drive or anything like that. You know, if you're watching on TV, you know, it's weird not having the fans screaming in the background, but you do get the broadcasters, you know, doing their thing when someone hits a home run and getting all excited. And that's, it's almost like a cue you need, you know, to realize, okay, oh yeah, this is important. Would you be in favor as a reporter of having like the broadcast feed looped into the press box or too distracting? Um, I mean, I kind of, on the one hand, people tweet me like about the broadcast all the time. And I'm just like, I'm not listening to the broadcast. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I guess that would clue me into that a little bit. I would say, and I, I don't think I've had too much trouble tracking the major events. Because while the crowd noise is there, when there's a deep drive, I can hear the dugouts yelling or I can hear excitement from uh, the players on the field um, when there's like some when there's a drive to the wall or if there's like a a big strikeout, I can probably still hear the players react to it. Um, You know, I heard Yasmani Grandal the other day, uh, his 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 verbal reaction to a a throw to second getting away from from Tim Anderson. so I, I still think while the crowd noise is there, it's not too loud where I can't still like when they're really shouting something, get the cues from the players themselves. It's still quiet enough to hear that. So I would probably say it's not necessary for that purpose. But, um, you know, if, if people really need that to be locked in, uh, it would probably be fine. I think some reporters do listen to the radio on, on their headphones in all sport, not real, mostly in football. But some people do for baseball, too. I always feel like those are the more uh, prepared reporters because they're really getting everything. Whereas, Wow. What I, don't, a shot. I, I never do that. What? <laughs> what a shot at me. No, I don't do it. I don't do it. You're busy watching the game. Sadov watches pretty close. Sadov watches on TV, too, or something. He's always got something next to him. I always want to wow. monitor up because I want, yeah. I mean, especially the White Sox Park, like the angle of what I see from yeah. pitches is not great. Um, so that's been my biggest beef with intra squads is not having the monitors on for me. That's to, like, a great, that's a great point. Um, <laughs> and I no, wish that. my tablet wasn't dead, but since I would just bring that, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I like to think I watch closely enough to, to know what's going on. Um, all right, let's, let's move on real quick to Lucas Gilito league of his own, um, opening day starter, not a surprise, but, it's still fun. I mean, he's got to be still pretty fired up for this, I would assume. What did he say when he talked to the media? Um, I think when he talked to the media, it was not officially yet, and he was mostly playing defense on the idea. I mean, but I don't know. Like, it's – it's it, you could have called it in December that this was what happened to him. I feel like it's uh, – it's almost like another postseason award for 2019. Uh, so there, there's a degree for – it being talked to depth a little bit that, you know, he's made this transformation that he he's done all this work. Um, maybe for me is <laughs> the level of that, which I've written about Lucas Giolito. It just feels like um, another, another postscript to this incredible journey that he's on, but he, he's mostly fired up for the team that he thinks that the, the team can make a lot of noise that he, he's kind of ready to participate in his first season where it's uh it's not about development it's not about you know progress it's not about you know judging how many of his pitches worked uh, over the, after the game but whether or not they won or not so i i think he's most excited for just kind of this transition it marks from 
you're a guy who's taking his lumps and you're trying to get better toward you're a guy we're counting on. You're a guy we're writing. You have to be the ace that is basically being designated this. So it it's less like this personal honor that, you know, in his heart of hearts, he probably, um, I wouldn't say arrogantly, but always had the belief that he would get uh, and less like I'm ready to make this transformation towards being the dude and 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 having that kind of weight put on me. Uh, how's Rick Gilito? Is he excited? <laughs> I, I haven't checked out Rick. Uh, I don't know. It's been it's been curiously uh, quiet on Twitter. Um, it, his mom is liking my tweets about him, so I, I assume the Gilito household is, is 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 in a good place. Yeah, she's a she's a good, uh, very quick uh, liker of tweets, which I respect. <laughs> I appreciate the the, the tweet. Uh, the tweet I put out the other day about like Lucas Giolito's. Um, he does like all these weird leg stretches and I think they're very normal leg stretches, but like they look weird because he's so tall and I just tweeted that out and it's like, that'll get a like from mom. I, I can count on that. <laughs> James, have you ever found yourself needing a mug and especially a mug made out of a barrel of a baseball bat? Well, uh, as long as it's clean, since I never have any clean mugs. <laughs> well, James, I have a clean mug for you. It's made. It's a 12 ounce mug made out of the barrel of a baseball bat. It's called dugout mugs. James, I know you can't get away from base. You can't get enough baseball. So even when you're drinking your coffee or your tea in the morning, this mug is perfect for that. It's perfect for a big game. It's perfect display. James, you could even put alcohol in it. I won't tell anyone. It's a unique gift for a baseball fan. Uh, what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in? Especially for the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> you can bring it in the ballpark, I think. We'll have to double check with security. Go to dugout dugoutmugs.com forward slash the athletic and use promo code MLB 30. If you do that, you get 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com forward slash the athletic code MLB 30. James, we're going to fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. All right. You did. Um, a story about you and Ken, Ken kind of broke it on Twitter. I don't know how much you guys were working on that together, but about a lot of White Sox, not a lot, but a good amount of White Sox baseball operations employees uh, are told they're going to be let go after the season. And they're given a lot of notice. You know, it's, it's a pretty good amount of notice I, as their contracts are up after October. Um, what, what can you tell us about that? Some of these guys, I think Dave Yoakum has been there for almost 30 years uh, what can you tell us from, you know, about what's going on there in terms of working together with Ken, it was like a, a 97 yard pass play. And then I ran it for a yard three times, uh, to, <laughs> <laughs> to get it to completion. Um, it, it's, uh, it's the way that they explained it or the white Sox like shaping of it was that, um, they had the right after May 1st to basically suspend or furlough or cut the pay of, of anybody in their front office and that they felt like they held off on it um, as long as they could. And these, the, you know, after the end of October, people who are on a contract get informed of whether or not they're being redeemed, re- redeemed right. uh, renewed or not. Um, and usually they find out at the start of October. So they're saying is like these are positions that are being eliminated because of losses they've taken during the pandemic. And they were um, 
they didn't say that there was a they they pushed back against the idea that this is being streamlined of like they're getting rid of old school scouts because they're going um data friendly though that you know obviously that is something they're doing in the organization but i i think the white Sox, the way they've operated would sooner just keep all those guys on and maybe i want to say marginalize them but maybe somewhat decrease their influence on every decision uh, rather than they would purge them. That Like that's the way that they've traditionally treated their scouting staff is that they, they've retained them. And so like, we're, we're going to weave this in rather than we're going to get rid of you and just do video scouting, like, you know, say the Astros. So they, they push back on the idea that there's any kind of strategic bent to it, but they seem it, it was most, it was the three scouts that Ken listed was uh, all that we kind of confirmed as far as the specific people who lost, but the other losses were expected to be in player development. And so right now, you know, you have, you know, Chris Getz and you have kind of his main lieutenants like uh, hitting coordinator Ben Broussard, Everett Tiefer, the pitching coordinator, who are all um, with Chicago right now working as pitchers. And you have the same guys in Schaumburg. But for the most part, like this player development like apparatus is kind of lying dormant waiting for what they're going to do. And you're kind of keeping them on with the idea that minor league baseball is going to come back or instructional league is going to come back at some point. Um, and you're just kind of holding them waiting for that to return. And they don't know when that's going to return. And, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf's comments about to the USA Today about the uncertainty about the 2021 season kind of plays into that. Like right now, they don't. You know, I think Keith Law even a month ago called the the fall league or any kind of instructional league a pipe dream, and as a result of that, they really don't have some immediate projection of where this the, a lot of their player development staffers uh, are going to play in. So it, it seems like they're purging from that, um, not with the idea of like, well, we're never going to use this again, but that was probably the department that they were more uh, willing to cut from, just because it's so uncertain about what they'll do. I mean, I talked to some player development staffers, and they like. I think it would really help if they just set a 2021 minor league schedule because that would at least project some future role um, for everybody. But we don't have that right now. And I, I can't really say with the way things are trending that there is certainty about what the 2021 minor league season will be. So I think even the people who are retained or safe through this are probably wondering, like, what does the future lie until there's actually some indication that they can have instructional league or, uh, have a minor league season next year. So it's the, these are positions that are being eliminated long-term. Um, but there, there's, there's not really the, the certainty that they can be brought back, um, in, in, until we can actually know that baseball can go back to normal, um, next season. And I don't know when that, when that certainty would come. Wow. All right. Um, let's not end on such a bleak note. um, it's probably my fault for scheduling it like that. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going down Monday to, to join you at the rate. Where should I get food before the game to bring in? We're allowed I to bring in food, aren't we? I have no idea. It kind of blew so. my mind when um, Cubs writers were walking in with like uh, Subway or um, other stuff from around the park. I yeah, you're allowed we, to. Like, I thought we walked in the park and we stayed there. Um, I didn't know. Like the only thing they've talked about what, to me is ordering meals from Levy's that are like prepackaged at the ballpark. And I didn't know if that was something that started with exhibition games. It started during the season, but I've just been eating my like uh, protein bars and diet food uh, and mostly eating my meals out, out around the, the game schedule. So 
I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. Um, mostly trying to think of a good, yeah. <laughs> trying to think of what I'm going to bring. Cause there is good food around there and I don't get down to, you know, unless for a game, but I don't think I'm going to do, uh, I don't think I'm going to do the sandwiches again from Rico Bene. So that might be a little too messy to bring up. I mean, I hit up Antique Taco right after the last Inter Squad game uh, ended um, the other night. That that's probably my go-to as far as places right around there. But again, uh, I don't know if I'm could bring it in the in, in the ballpark or if I should have to woof it down in line after they've taken my temperature. No, I think you can bring it in. I know I, I brought food into Wrigley. Like I went and got lunch at. Um, I think it was before one of those days we were going to be there for a long time. It was like one of the first days, and I went to uh, D'Agostino's and got a sandwich and brought it in. So it was pretty good. I think you kind of have to, as long as we're not bringing in. Uh, I think, yeah, I don't see why they, they would not they would care. I remember one time, this is way, way back before any restrictions, obviously, but a good story is that Dave Brown, who was, you know, did the Answer Man column at Yahoo, and this is when he was at the, the Northwest Herald um, up in Crystal Lake. He brought a bucket of Heralds in for us <laughs> because he went to, he was, he's so weird. He used to do these uh, answer, not weird, but he would do these very involved Q and A's with athletes. And he did one on Dwayne Wade and Dwayne Wade said what his favorite Heralds was. So Dave went there to take a picture of it, to put in a story and he got us a bucket. That was actually the first time I ever had Heralds was at a White Sox game. This is probably like 2003 or four. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the sort of like communal thing where everybody shares that they can't do anymore, which is why I wasn't sure. Like the the White Sox have done so much to like reduce what we bring in. I feel like they literally have our like doing the daily credential um, and and they have it on a lanyard for every single time um, for you because they don't like just to reduce like the interchange of you putting it on your own lanyard and whatnot like to the point where going to Wrigley Field yesterday kind of caught me off guard I had to dig it for one uh inside my bag only for Vinny Duber to tell me at the end of the night like you know that's a sticker right (laughs) 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 but uh it's been very much trying to just do the bare minimum and like have zero footprint uh, of when I'm there uh to basically like pretend like that, that no one would be able to notice that I, I was at my seat uh, at the end of the night. Um, it, it, it feels like a little bit like you're trying to keep things perfectly sterile, um, which typically is not the way sports writers have uh, acted Treated. in their surroundings at any point. Right. I'll bring some popcorn and hot sauce just to, just to remind me of the old days. Yeah. Of that, that like, what was it? A Lotte's popcorn that you shared in the press box uh, last season or two seasons ago. Was it last season? Remember when Lauren, remember we brought Lauren to do the, the food taste testing. That was last right. year, wasn't it? It might have been. Yeah. Remember she had to eat bacon popcorn and she hates like, I made her eat like buffalo chicken helmets. She uh, seemed deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. Did, did not like that. <laughs> I think I got written up by HR. Um, we did expense <laughs> it though, which is, which is good. <laughs> we got that paid for. Um, so yeah, none of that this year, unless they use my idea of letting, uh, reporters staff a concession stand for us, which I think is a good idea. I'll run that by Brooks when I talk to him. I'm going to talk to Brooks soon. Brooks Boyer. I'm going to run that by him and see what he says. Call it like Merck's cafe instead of monks. Oh, we just got an email tonight's meal options. Oh, what is it? Uh, Look, we're breaking news on, on uh, white Sox business. Braised short ribs or garlic herb chicken, both served with polenta and roasted cauliflower. 
Ah, I don't. I think I might have to try this. What do you think? You have to decide in the next two and a half hours. Apparently. Okay. What are you gonna try? You know? Do you have a first uh, a first take? I mean, I don't know. I <laughs> the White Sox famous for their short ribs. I mean, it's kind of a <laughs> listen. When I leave the restaurant, short it's the ribs. Go-to. I know we should maybe we should each try one and then report it back for the next episode. Like the short ribs at the resort that they held the GM meetings at, they, that was very good. I don't know about uh, you know what, whatever part of the bleachers this is coming from. <laughs> I, it's well, it's Levy's Kitchen, I would assume, right? Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I think I think I might try one of these. If you do the short ribs, maybe I'll do the chicken. All right. Um, I, I know Levy is known for their polenta worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> world that world famous chicago polenta <laughs> all right well we will report back on this um in our next episode uh thanks for joining us white Sox business from john greenberg and james fegan please leave us a like comment rating on apple spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and if you're not already a member of the athletic you can save 40 percent off your first year by visiting theathletic.com forward slash south side that south side is all one word Our business is done here.